For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me. Two of your favorite troglodytes, <laughs> Mr. Mark Tuttle and Mr. Timothy O'Donnell. Uh, but uh, I guess I, I need to apologize right off the bat. You may be offended by being called a troglodyte. Ooh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, 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 I am sensitive, Kent. Well, yeah. and, and, you know, and it, you know what, Tim? I'm, I'm offended that you're sensitive and offended. Right. But, you know, if, if you believe the Geico commercial... You know, we we don't want to offend cavemen. So you know, what? Where have we gotten to the point? <laughs> when have we gotten to the point where we can't speak, we can't label anything without offending someone? And especially as Catholics, can we live PC? Or you know, is politically correct and Catholic? You know anathema to each other (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's a lot packed into that um you know the political correctness it's interesting because i don't think it has anything to do necessarily with the way somebody would insult me in other words you're the the offense is not taken by the person who is being insulted necessarily the issue with political correctness is, is to a certain extent trying to show that you aren't sensitive enough. You aren't sensitive enough to victims in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're not sensitive enough to you know somebody else that might take offense. But it really has less to do with me personally. So you know if you went and you insulted all German people, you know the the offense isn't necessarily towards me as a German person. But what it is is it, it it's an indictment of you as a bigot who dislikes German people. There so, is, that, mm-hmm. you know, it used to be, you know, there, there's the, uh, you know, the Scarlet A. Now it's the Scarlet B. If you want to label somebody and you, you want to discredit their, their opinion in any way, shape or form, you label them bigot. Yeah, that, that's really, as you used the word, that really is anathema here, here in the U S especially, uh, because of we have a checkered past with bigotry, um, to be labeled a bigot is really to uh, marginalize someone and really, uh, as you said, Mark, really to insult them and degrade them. Right. And and then there's also, I think, a, a certain status that goes along with being somebody who is a victim of bigotry. So if, if I can show that there's other people out there that hate me, that in some ways sort of elevates my status. Yes. Well, this kind of gets us back to the political correctness, right? Which to me also speaks of um, that there are uh, certain uh, cultural norms or standards um, as it pertains to different categories of people that may re- reflect your uh, something about your, your identity or group that you belong to. And then there's a clash that occurs with differing views or opinions. And what's really counterproductive about political correctness, one of its features is it shuts down dialogue because as soon as you begin to uh, hurl uh, 
insults like bigot or labels like that that are derogatory, then it becomes much more about uh, the uh, person, um, the bigot, being bigoted than it does about whatever the subject matter had been. And so there's sort of a there's almost like an ad hominem um, kind of element to it. Yeah. And this is nothing new. Um, it may seem new, you know, bigotry and all of that may seem like a, a 21st century problem, but the issue of trying to figure out who belongs within society, who doesn't belong within society, who is a member of polite society and who is not a member of polite society. That's an age old issue. And that goes way, way back. And, and when you look at the Bible, we as Christians are called uniquely to transcend that and we're called uniquely to honestly be the antidote to that. You know, Paul's epistle goes to a great length to say, you know, in Christ there's neither Greek nor Jew nor slave nor free. Um, and, and so we as Catholics are really called to be the antidote to any and all of this. Yeah, there's um, plenty of biblical evidence that speaks about the equality that comes um, and recognition that every human person's made in the image and likeness of God and therefore intrinsically valuable, intrinsically good, um, laudable, and that that is, by being a member of the human family, um, that is what grounds our dignity. Yeah, and you know, this, this dissolving of distinctions and dissolving of differences like that it's so much more countercultural, I think, than we realize. I think we lose sight of, of how countercultural this actually is. And in a lot of ways, how upstream we as Catholics have to, to swim in order to, to kind of help achieve this, this view of things. Well, one of the areas, I mean, you, you speak about, um, I think rightly so, that being Catholic is, is going to be countercultural and it also means we're often not going to be politically correct in other people's estimations. No, honestly, I think part of it is we have to take on the, um, you know, we have to take on the, I, I guess, the status of being somebody that is ostracized, somebody that, that is on the, the edges of society in order to start start to dissolve some of that. Um, so, you know, to a certain extent, our job as Catholics is always to be on the fringe, always to be on the outs, and always to be, therefore, to a certain extent, you know, non-politically correct. Right. Well, one area, um, it, it hasn't gotten, it seems like it, it almost feels like it's, it's fading towards the back, the background, but um, I'll bring up same-sex marriages, right? That's the law of the land here in the U.S. Uh, and other parts of the world. And yet, as Catholics, we can never affirm that uh, two people of the same gender can, in fact, be married. Right, right. Now, the, you know, as Catholics, we're supposed to uphold the dignity of the human person, no matter whom the person is. Right. And, you know, we always have to acknowledge all of us are sinners. Um, you know, there, there, there's Correct. not a single one of us. That, right. That, 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 Some of us are big sinners, Mark. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so, um, you know, we always have to start from any of these issues from that standpoint that, you know, at least as far as, as sin goes and in the eyes of, of God, we're all equal, um, no matter, you know, what sins we've, we've committed. But we also have to start from the standpoint that there is sin. And, mm -hmm. and, and it is our job to try to call each other out of that. Um, in love, 
in truth, but to call each other out of that. And yes, you're right. When we start to do that, um, we're going to we're, we're gonna quickly get called out as um, you know those people that, that honestly don't belong. Well, one of the biggest problems, I think, in just having any converse, having conversations over issues that uh, are important or that matter to us is that um, di- disagreement uh, quickly and sometimes almost immediately gets equated with uh, hatred. And so this is one of the great problems of our time, I think, is that if we are um, seekers of truth, and I would say that we are, we're seekers of truth, well, here in a fallen world, we're not all going to see things eye to eye. And so we're going to, part of the human experience is to experience differences in views and opinions, um, and that also we're also going to be subject to what? Mistakes and misunderstandings ourselves. So the only way for us to, to pursue the truth together is to engage, is to have free speech and be able to uh, share with one another how we really see things um, and then have the intellectual humility to be open to correction um, and to grow in knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And that viewpoint requires some assumptions that I don't think most everybody makes. One of them that is that there's just simply truth. You well, know, yeah, that's yeah, you know that's the postmodern crisis, right? Yeah. Is that truth doesn't no, objective truth doesn't exactly. exist? Exactly. You know, you you've got your truth, Tim. I've got my truth, Tim. Or I've got my truth, Mark. I guess I could have yeah. my truth as Tim too. <laughs> right. That's but, right. <laughs> That's a whole other show. <laughs> right. But, but but nonetheless, you know, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You know, I think the phrase that, that captures this um, best is, well, well, you be you, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah, or yeah. You do you. How you know, silly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fact of the matter is, as Catholics, you know, part of our faith is that there is one truth and, and that that singular truth calls all of us towards holiness and perfection. And that holiness and perfection is simply one standard that's set by Christ. And that's universally available to everybody. Right. So, you know, that right there sets us up, I think, for, um, I, I guess, you know, the, the little buzzer should be going on, danger, Will Robinson, danger, <laughs> because that automatically is going to set us up to a certain extent as being countercultural. Right. Just just to affirm that there are, uh, to, to move even that point a little bit further, one of the areas that I like to bring up when we're ha- having this sort of discussion with others is whether or not universal moral laws exist, because that's a way for us to begin to think about uh, whether or not there is objective truth uh, out there. And so, you know, universal moral laws, universal meaning they apply to everyone, moral laws because they pertain to moral, because they pertain to right and wrong action, um, and then laws, which are ordinance of reason that um, are applicable um, and govern our actions. And so for the, uh, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, the exemplar of universal moral laws really is the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments um, would be something we would hold up and say, well, yes, the Ten Commandments given to us by God, so by the ultimate lawgiver, 
and they apply to they're for everyone they're for everyone's good and they apply to the rightness and wrongness of certain actions right and and universally so for for everybody you know there there there's no there's no exception there's, there, there, no there's, group that's exempted and, from and it. yeah no no group that's exempted from it and there's no group that that really is held up as, as somehow capable and able to live up to those commandments better than others simply by nature correct you know? <laughs> we all struggle <laughs> we all we, we all struggle you know and um you know, those are a set of universal laws that I think when you start to peel it back, everybody will have to eventually acknowledge, yeah, I recognize them. But I think more on the surface, people recognize virtue and the universality of virtue um, and in some ways quicker than they recognize the universality of the, the Decalogue and, and the Ten Commandments. You know, everybody can recognize what it is to act courageously and um, can kind of see um, when people are acting courageously or when people are acting cowardly. Cowardly. You know, people understand that language a little bit better when you're talking about moral and ethics than, than necessarily um, thou shalt not covet. Um, oh. <laughs> you know, um, and, and uh, I think also when you get into sort of, uh, boy, let's use that that awful, evil legal term penumbra. When you get into Ooh, the, there when, you, you go. when you get into the, uh, the, the, the shadows of the, the Ten Commandments and, and all of the things that are implied by the Ten Commandments, um, I think sometimes it's a lot easier to see it in terms of virtue rather than it is in, in terms of uh, commandments and law and, um, and, and sort of these universal principles. We need to take a break and we'll be back with more looking at uh, the PC world in a Catholic life. We'll be right back with more of the Catholic Cave right after this. You know us as Catholic Radio Indy, but we're so much more than just radio. We're a voice for the church that's seldom heard in our chaotic world. We're confirmation for the strong of faith and encouragement and answers for those in doubt. We're there to rejoice with your triumphs and to be a voice of consolation through the dark times. We're a voice for vocations and proudly pro-life. We are Catholic Radio Indy and CatholicRadioIndy.org. It's foundation, and that foundation is the Word of Jesus Christ. Catholic Radio Indy. To help lift my spirit and brighten my mood. And welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell. Hello. And with Clint, <laughs> Kent Blanford. And Kent, you reminded us as we went to break of what we were actually supposed to be talking about. <laughs> I think we got off topic a little bit. Um, <laughs> a little so, bit. so we're, we're talking about political correctness and how we as Catholics should react to this this move and, and push um, for political correctness to, to enforce political correctness. And, uh, you know, we got off a little bit talking more about universal laws and virtue and morality and and you know in some ways we got off topic in some ways we kind of jumped the gun a little bit so let's talk a little bit tim about this this notion of political correctness and how we as catholics are supposed to react to this notion you know one of the first principles i think that we should take from this is upholding and recognizing the inherent human dignity of every human person yes yeah and that's absolutely the case and so it's from that it's from that foundation, um, the dignity of the human person, um, that anthropological view um, is the grounding, I think, for a lot of what we will uh, sort of erect or structures that we'll build on top of that. So 
um, recognizing that every human being's made in the image and likeness of God with a special purpose in mind, right? Beatitude, right? That uh, every every person that we meet has an immortal soul and is built for eternity. Um, and so we need to affirm that. And that's going to be the basis of things that become important as it pertains to things like as we develop things like the natural law, but also human rights. Why do human beings have rights? Well, because human beings have, uh, because of their dignity, that, that we have duties and obligations that flow from the kind of uh, creatures that we are. And therefore, we have um, rights, which are moral claims to certain goods. So we should be able to pack it up. We should. We're we're we're, we're done. You know, um, political correctness. It's just. It's just. You know that that acknowledgement of, of human dignity. And so you know, honestly, political correctness means we shouldn't be bigots. And we as Catholics recognize we shouldn't be bigots. So we're done here. We don't really. There's really not much <laughs> more. If to only discuss. that were that simple. <laughs> <laughs> See, p- political correctness though implies a lot more than just simply acknowledging the universal human dignity of those people we're talking to. Um, the idea of political correctness kind of implies that um, to a certain extent you're always going to have sets of people who who just by nature they can't be politically correct yeah there's well I think there's any number of uh, tenets of the Catholic faith which affirmed especially in the public square will put us outside the sphere of political correctness. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit. When, when, when we say political correctness, let, let's let's start define to define ah, let's start to, to fi- define some terms here. What exactly do we mean by political correctness? I would say pit- political correctness um, has several prominent features to it. Uh, the first of which, one of which I would say is uh, political correctness entails the. Um, cautiously restraining one's um, verbiage or written communication so as not to offend or give offense to a protected group. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Is is it ever okay to offend somebody else? I think it is okay to offend other people, um, and, because, and it's unavoidable. Um, and that's different. So I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, one ought to pursue offending other people on purpose in order to upset them. But I do believe to have uh, a rich, robust, uh, and even nuanced conversation over the most important things in life, we're going to encounter fundamental disagreements. And our fundamental disagreements are, are based on our core values and who we are often as a person. And it's very difficult for us as human beings to differentiate between my views or my core values and myself as a person. So if someone challenges, pardon me, challenges one of my core values, it's uh, likely for me to interpret that as uh, something offensive against me as a person because you're touching something deeply held within me. And so, uh, again, if we're going to talk about the most important ideas, the most important principles, um, it's going to, I I assert that it's going to uh, touch on people's core values and thus people will inevitably take that as 
uh, sort of rocking their boat. See, and this is where it gets tricky because, uh, you know, I'm picturing Dr. Kevin Vost sitting in here. We've had Dr. Mm-hmm. Kevin Vost on the, the show. And, uh, you know, Dr. Vost, very prolific. He's written a lot of books. But one of the, the books that we've talked about with him on this show is The Porch and the Cross. Um, you know, Christ- how Christianity and, and the philosophy of Stoicism are related to each other, how they've influenced each other. And I think Dr. Vost would point out pretty quickly, you know, offense is not something I have control over. Um, Whether you are going to be offended by what I say, it's something, it's a reaction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So when when you're offended by something, that's you reacting to what somebody else says. And I think that kind of brings up sort of the first reaction that we as Christians ought to have or the first stance that we as Christians ought to have towards this whole world of political correctness. And that is we have to be, as Paul would say, slow to anger. You know, mm. we we have to be willing not to take offense at, at what is said. But we also have to realize that other people's offense is somewhat out of our control. And so how we deal with somebody that is offended by what we say, that I think is kind of the next step within political correctness. So if I say something to you, you as a Christian really ought not to take offense at that, um, no matter what it is. Um, you know, I think it's our job as as Christians to diffuse all of that by really taking a stance of I am going to do my best to never ever be offended, and to take what somebody says in the most charitable light, and and really honestly to kind of acknowledge that and and diffuse that and try to find the truth within it and and move from the standpoint of truth, not any sense of what this says about me as a person. Um, I can do that as a Christian. I can't demand that of you as somebody I'm talking to. So when we do say something and somebody else takes offense, what is our response to a certain extent? And and let's say it's not something that's innately insulting. So, so, you know, I'm not calling you a caveman or a troglodyte or any other sort of (laughs) ad did Right. (laughs) <laughs> and I am sincerely sorry. Right. <laughs> but but I'm 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 saying, you know, you know, Tim, you're a drunkard. <laughs> you're not a troglodyte or a bud, but you know, you you're you're doing things wrong, you drink too much, um, you know, something along those lines. How is we how should we as Christians, I guess, react to somebody else's offense? Well, I think, as you mentioned, it begins with what are some of our base assumptions are. If my my and commitment. So if my first commitment um, is to be a seeker of truth, recognizing ultimately the truth isn't a set of facts, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. Then I have to I begin to uh, listen and process, uh, say um, accusations um, av- about my behavior in light of that, and so um, I also have to be aware, though, that uh, both in myself and others, that I do have emotions and that I do have feelings and that they're real. But I think going back to say an, an Aristotle or the Stoics, even as you as you brought up, the key for us as rational beings is that our intellect needs to rule over our passions so i ought not to so it's okay to feel my feelings but i ought not to let my emotions overwhelm 
my intellect, my ability to reason through things. And that's the that's going to be very important because it's when our emotions get the better of us, we say, that we wind up doing or saying things that we we later on usually regret. Right. And a lot of times people need help with that. Um, oh, yeah. You know, when you say something and they take offense at it, you know, a lot of times you can diffuse that by simply stepping back and helping them reason through their emotional responses. Um, you know, you have to be careful because sometimes you can lead to, you know, even further offense by trying to do that. But, you know, I think there, there are ways that you can help people to, to kind of sidestep their emotions, look at things from a, a more rational perspective, and then kind of move away from, you know, the, the anger or, um, you know, instant offense that they've taken at something that's been said. Yeah, one of the one of the tactics I guess that I try to employ, and by tact I just mean it's a it's a process that I try to follow is that if I'm if I'm having a, a conversation with someone over say an article of the faith and there's disagreement and uh, emotions are starting to um, run hot, um, it's a, what I try to do is try to, to try to remember a little phrase which is feelings before facts and by that i mean it's important to acknowledge another person's feelings um so that that way they know that they've been heard and then from there you can move into say the facts or evidence the reasons behind uh, one's point of view but if you don't deal with the emotions then when someone's emotions are starting to run high then they get the they tend to get the sense that you're not really listening to them because you're not picking up on the the fervor from which that they're stating their their point of view so you can acknowledge um, you can acknowledge their feelings acknowledging someone's feeling isn't the same as approving of them or finding agreement with their perspective or point of view but it's just to say I it could be something as simple as I can tell that this is really important to you by what you're saying. That's not to say that I'm agreeing with your point of view per se, but it's to say, hey, look, uh, as a fellow human being, I can tell that this is important to you, that this is this is uh, causing you to react strongly, and I want to acknowledge that. And then once you deal with the feelings, then you can move into uh, the facts or the evidence or continue the conversation. You're listening to uh, the Catholic Cave here on Catholic Radio Indy, and we're talking a little bit about PC culture and how we as Catholics need to react to um, the world of political correctness. You know, as we, we said, you know, to a certain extent, we as Catholics start from the standpoint of human dignity. And so therefore, we kind of recognize that any type of, of blatant bigotry is just wrong. Um, you know, we're all human. Sure. We all have that, that dignity that, that comes from being human. But, you know, in our culture now, we try to utilize what we see as the offensiveness and bigotry of somebody else against them. So we, we, we try to cast as many people as bigots as we can so that we can shut them down and dismiss what they say because, well, they're bigots. We don't have to listen to them. So there's an, a, a certain amount of uh, jacuzzi involved in, uh, <laughs> in, in this whole yes. PC thing that, you know, well, if, if I can just show that you are in some way prejudiced or in some way bigoted that I don't have to listen to a word you say. Yeah. In fact, you're going to, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a way to end the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And to end the conversation, we're going to break. We'll be back with more of the Catholic cave right after this. 
You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Imagine an encouraging place. Imagine a home for things that inspire. Imagine a storehouse for good news. No need to imagine. Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm still Timothy O'Donnell, and in the cave is still Mark Tuttle and Kent Blanford. And we're talking about political correctness and one of the things and how it might relate to our Catholic identity. And so I was going to throw this out to you, Mark. Um, so when I th- when you hear the term Catholic identity, what, what sort of comes to mind to you? Catholic identity. Well, I, I guess, you know, your your morals and your virtues and the way you live your life. So to a certain extent, your lifestyle, you know, that's what defines you as Catholic. But then I guess your adherence to a universal church. So you, you've got an allegiance to an international universal brotherhood of other Catholics and other and that, that extends to other Christians to a certain extent that 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 sort of transcends other markers of identity. So your identity of a Catholic, as a Catholic, your Catholic identity almost is a negative identity. If I identify as a Catholic, I'm identifying less as some other group. And um, so I think that also kind of goes along with, with being Catholic. Yeah, so the being through our baptism, um, becoming a member of the body of Christ sets us apart, right? Sets us apart as God's adopted children. And with that comes a whole host of um, privileges and obligations and duties and responsibilities on what it means to live an authentically Catholic life. Um, this is why I think why in even in a, a culture such as America's culture that we're going to inevitably run into cross purposes and run into uh, obstacles or roadblocks to living an authentically Catholic life because the um, our ability to uh, shape or influence the culture is hampered. Um, the Catholic Church doesn't uh, wield supremacy over the culture in this country. No. <laughs> and so the culture, you know, uh, this culture, this collection of uh, shared values across the population, all kinds of things. So not the least of which, you know, one that we've talked talk, talk about frequently because it's so important. It's probably the, the most important moral issue of our time is abortion. You know, we have legal abortion in the United States, and that is something simply Catholics cannot uh, support. Yeah, and you don't have to be Catholic to see how wrong and uh, vicious abortion (laughs) is. You know, this is a human rights issue, but that's part of being Catholic, too, is is standing up for all of those human rights issues as they come up, um, no matter what, what culture. And usually those human rights issues are created to a certain extent 
internet buy the same things that want to generate a politically correct culture. In other words, political correctness comes about because of this idea of we're going to separate those who belong from those who don't. Yeah, I wonder too. I'm going to get I'm going to get your thoughts on this, Mark. I wonder too because I've I've heard this brought up in other settings that I've I've listened to some lectures and things that I've listened to. Now, one might see that political correctness is is tied into identity politics. That in other words that our our political setting um, is based, according to some, on the group or groups that you identify with. So that would be things like one's gender, one's race, one's age, one's religious or political views, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that what's happened in this kind of post-modernity setting is a kind of Marxist class struggle where Marx had used the terminology of the proletariat or working class um, in conflict with the bourgeoisie. Um, But in today's political correctness, what's been substituted is instead of the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, what you have instead are these identity politic classes that are then pitted against each other in in a conflict for liberation and freedom. So the LGBTQ community is is now substituted for the proletariat, and uh, they're they're struggling to uh, assert to find freedom and autonomy and uh, claiming rights for themselves, and uh, that that's being pitted against the authoritarian bourgeoisie, which is uh, often portrayed as say traditional people with traditional values, and what it gave rise to is this uh, the great movement towards the Supreme Court case for legalizing same-sex marriage. Do you see that philosophically as is a possible explanation or be, or thesis or hypothesis as to how we find ourselves in these political correctness struggles? Yeah, I think political correctness does have a lot to do with the, the sort of, um, I guess, power struggles that go on when you get to this the mm. standpoint of radical autonomy um, if you have a, a notion that each individual is radically isolated from every individual and that the only thing that you know therefore we can do is, is assert our own autonomy against over and against somebody else you're eventually going to get to an idea where it's one group of people asserting their radical autonomy and asserting their power and you know it becomes a, a power struggle of, of all against all very quickly you know as Mm -hmm. you you mentioned that you know kind of coming from from Marx you know it's also very much associated with the philosophy of Nietzsche that you know when there is a will to power it's a will to power when there's just your truth versus my truth versus somebody else's truth the person who prevails is the one that that is strong is able to to wield the the hammer the most right Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think though there's a probably a more maybe mundane, innocuous um, explanation of it. And it's simply, and it 
an overuse and almost a, a movement into the area of vice of the virtue of tolerance. You know, mm. we, we live in a multicultural society and when you live in a multicultural society, obviously there has to be a certain amount of tolerance of other people that live in and among yourself. But as Aristotle talked about with virtue, you can, you can err on either side. You can either err on the mm. side of too much or too little. And the virtue is right in the middle. And so I think with, with tolerance, you know, political correctness is, is pushing us beyond tolerance into a, a radical tolerance of, you know, we have to not only tolerate each other, but we have to almost ignore each other. Um, so um, well, I might even say you have to affirm the, right. the evil in your midst. Yeah, exactly. To exactly. your own peril if you fail to do so. And the fact of the matter is, as, as Catholics, there are certain things that we are called to not tolerate, mainly mm-hmm. sin. Um, you know, we're, we're supposed to work on our own lives to eradicate sin from our own lives, but we're also supposed to teach. We're also supposed to instruct and correct those around us that are falling. And in a, in an uber-tolerant society where everything is supposed to be tolerated and affirmed, we, we Catholics quickly find ourselves falling afoul. Yeah, that's. Um, I think it. I think it was Robert Riley coined that term, um, the culture of vice, where we rather than a, a, a culture of virtue or a culture of life, you've got a culture of vice where um, desi- that radical autonomy being asserted uh, to me in part means uh, this is a this is a, uh, a wide ranging desire fulfillment schema of each to their own uh, uh, to your own independence your own autonomy that whatever desires you have um, there ought to be maximum space within the culture and within society for you to obtain whatever that desire is and it's not and as you pointed out it's it's not only just tolerating that whatever uh, no matter how bizarre or uh, sinful or or immoral my desires might be but I'm going to also demand that you affirm me in my sin <laughs> right and you know I think it does raise the question for us you know why is Catholicism so demanding you know why is it that we as Christians are really called out to not only be our own keeper but to be our brother's keeper as well mm-hmm. and to do what we can not just to clean up our own lives not just to live our own lives as good Catholics but really to call other people um, to, to holiness around us why is that such an important part of Catholicism and why can't we just you know go along and get along and, and let other people wallow in their own sin um, and, you know and and we just live our own lives as good Catholics well I'm going to I'm going to suggest that it's because of our discipleship of Christ that uh, we're we're his followers and we're his brothers and sisters um, and we look to the Lord as the supreme example of how we're to live our lives so we're to imitate him in his words and his deeds and his actions and so when you look and study the life of Christ especially in the Gospels you 
we see the example that we're to follow and uh, we're to take up our cross and follow him right um, and so that 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 one verse alone is a pretty good summary of what the Christian life is about right and we do that not because you know we are are somehow I don't know masochistic martyrs that, that we want to put this huge burden on ourselves but we do that because we realize that leads to happiness mm-hmm. um, you know that the ultimate human happiness is found in living up to one single standard and that's the standard of Christ um, and so we want to share that with other people you know it's not a uh, it's it's not a, a demanding that other people become like us and other people imitate us and other people imitate Christ so that we can all be identified together and we can all be alike and we can all be homogenous the the calling is a calling to joy and to happiness that we want to call our neighbors to because we recognize that any other standard any other identity that we try to find any other you know I guess sort of exemplar that we try to follow is going to fall short and the only human perfection we can find is that human perfection found in Christ right and following to you it's a great point and uh, following Christ in no way uh, vanquishes our own individuality and the proof of that is when you look at the communion of saints you look at how the canonized saints followed Christ and are his closest friends and companions and you see how wonderfully different and unique they are one to the next so in a way it's this universal call of discipleship to imitate Christ that actually brings about the best most unique qualities in ourselves and and that becomes very countercultural because everybody else I think has a, a certain standard that they're trying to live up to they're trying to be the perfect exemplar of whatever it is they're chasing and so you know that call to move towards Christ and to look away from whatever else is put out there in front of you that you're trying to imitate to imitating Christ and becoming the the image of Christ that we're meant to become that instantly becomes very countercultural and can even be construed as non-politically correct Well, and we're coming up on a break. You're listening to The Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy. Where do you go for reliable information on what's happening in the world? Where can you turn for rock-solid teaching backed by centuries of unchanging, undeniable truth? Look first to the Catholic Church, and then be sure to tune in right here to Catholic Radio Indy. We are your source for 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Catholic Radio Indy and CatholicRadioIndy.org. It might be the people. It could be the programming. But we think it's the God who made the people and inspired the programming. He's the best reason we can think of to keep coming back. Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell, Kent Blanford, and we are talking about political correctness. And we've kind of danced. <laughs> we've kind of danced all around this question, Tim, of um, how should we as Catholics react? I mean, we, we've looked at it as you know, are we politically correct? Do we have a Catholic identity? You know, how is, is our Catholic identity in Christ? How does that fit with other people finding their identity and in, in different things? Um, how do we avoid a 
offending other people? To what extent is is political correctness just kind of a over overabundance of tolerance? You know, but we've we've danced all around the the, the question. Ultimately, is political correctness a good or a bad thing? And we've also kind of danced all around the question of really. Should Catholics embrace political correctness? Should we fight against it? Should we shun it? Should we run the other way? How should we as Catholics really react to this politically correct culture? That's a, that is a great question. I, I guess if I uh, defining political correctness uh, as a, um, I would say it's a artificial um, edifice of uh kind of sensitivity training around protected, uh, presumably protected categories of people. I, I would say political correctness is false. It's a false set of notions, and therefore we ought to reject it. Um, that would be, that's my take on it. And the way we reject it um, and push back against it is by having an authentic Catholic identity. And the way we do that. I think our, uh, a few quick ways would be, one, is to study our holy Catholic faith, to know what the church teaches and why, so it informs our, our actions and our lives. Secondly, I would say to take full advantage of the uh, sacramental life in the church. So, uh, thing, and uh, along with not just our uh, the precepts of the church, but also and our obligations, but also the the um, the devotions that are and traditions that come with being Catholic. We're we're on the precipice of Lent, which is such a and that which goes right into East into the Easter season and the Paschal mystery. It's such a rich time for us to live out. Uh, customs and traditions and the sacramental life of the church that distinguish us um, as the people of God from those who are not. And so we ought to embrace that. And then I would say, uh, finally, it's an opportunity for uh, repentance and conversion. So taking advantage of forming our consciences um, and then taking advantage, most especially going into the Lenten season, of the sacrament of reconciliation, um, as well as, um, uh, again, participating fully in things like the Stations of the Cross and other devotions throughout that season. But it's more it's broader than just the Lent and Easter seasons, obviously, but this is our a very practical way for us to enter more fully into a rich Catholic identity. I think that approaching this from a, a standpoint of you know, um, repentance, examination of conscience, um, you know, trying to take care of our own sinfulness. I think that response is is probably the the best one that that we we can take. You know, political correctness. I don't think it's totally foreign to Christianity to a certain extent. In other words, I think this whole move for political correctness has roots in 
things that are common to the Christian tradition and to a certain extent are Christian. You know, one of them is recognizing that universal human dignity of the human person that we've talked about. And I think we as Catholics need to examine our consciences and, and kind of go back and say, you know, to what extent have I demeaned somebody else or looked down upon somebody else as, as less than human in some capacity or, or tried to set themselves up as something other than the creation and intimate object of God's love and affection that that person is, you know, that that's a, that's something that we should be constantly calling ourselves back to, you know, the other aspect of Christian teaching that I think political correctness sort of dovetails with and follows is this, this sympathy that we're supposed to have with those who are marginalized and ostracized and who can't speak for themselves. You know, we're, we're called mm-hmm. as Catholics to speak for those who don't have a voice. And, um, you know, I think we need to, to be constantly kind of looking through our own lives to say, what, what are the times where I could have stood up, should have stood up, spoken up for somebody that, that was being... Um, um, I, I guess you know mar- marginalized, marginalized, or marked out mm-hmm. for um, for for scapegoating. Quite honestly, um, what what are the times that I have not? stood by that person in solidarity and stood up for them um, because that ultimately is is what Catholicism calls us to. Now, I think political correctness weaponizes that. And I think that's a tenden- tendency that we need to uh, sort of watch out for and uh, be on guard for is when the this understanding and acceptance and, and, and love of somebody else because they are a creature of God becomes... T- turns into a tolerance and embracing of sin, um, we have to be on guard for that because um, as, as we said, you know, our identity in Christ is one where we recognize that true happiness comes from that holiness that comes from following Christ. And so political correctness is always going to be pushing against that. I also think, you know, we, uh, we have to um, watch out for the, the, the game of trying to find the bigot. So in, in uh, standing up for somebody else, you know, we're not trying <laughs> right. to turn that on somebody else and, and accuse them of, of bigotry in a, in a way that, that's going to mark them out as somebody that, that needs to be, you know, silenced or ostracized or, or, or set to the, you know, set to the side of, of uh, polite society. Yeah, I think we ought not to be very concerned with being politically correct, but rather the standard we should uh, aspire to and hold ourselves accountable and responsible to is that of charity, that of love. So am I being loving towards other people, most especially uh, the poor, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, those who are most vulnerable in our our families, our communities, our society? Am I being loving towards them? And I think if our standard is one of love, especially agape love, then political correctness will take care of itself. You know, the people who are marginalized, the people who are, are being, I think, shoved to the, the side of, of polite society, they're very often silent. And I think that's the way well, I think of the unborn. Yeah, the, the unborn, <laughs> right? You know, the, the unborn. Completely silent. You know, the you know to, to a certain extent, you know, the the, the homeless, um, you know, refugees, um, other other the powerless, pe- other people. They're, they're they're powerless, and they're also silent by and large. They they can't speak mm-hmm. for themselves. So um, I think it was Father uh, Dwight Longenecker. Um, you know, he he kind of pointed out the way that you can tell somebody who is an authentic victim from somebody that's using victimhood um, and using the whole. Political 
politically correct um, culture to try to uh, kind of assert power against somebody else is true victims are silent. These pseudo victims mm. are usually the loudest ones in the Have room. Have a mouthpiece. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're usually That's the ones a- that are trying to, to, to kind of assert their own victimhood to put somebody else down and put other people in their place. Yeah, I'm a fan of his. I hadn't heard him say that, but uh, that does seem to ring true to me. Yeah, and I think that's where political correctness kind of goes amok is when it when it becomes weaponized, when it when you're you're trying to use that marginalized status as something to marginalize somebody else, to 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 mm-hmm. shut somebody else up, to um, you know put somebody in their place, and um, you know really move somebody in a, into a in, into a corner where they're no longer part of polite society. Right. I th- I think, you know, the best way to push back against political correctness is uh, for, you know, if, if you can imagine um, us, each one of us, um, and together living out the fullness and, and richness of the Catholic faith, there wouldn't be much room left in society for political correctness. Yeah, and you know, I also think the old adage of um, talk less, do more mm. fits into this this quite a bit because you know what we're talking about to a certain extent is how do we love those people that are on the margins of society? And when you speak up on their behalf, when you try to, you know, I, I don't know, you know, speak to power or whatever phrase you want to use for, oh, for speak once, truth to power. Yeah, there you go. Speak <laughs> truth to power. Exactly. Yeah. When you, tr- that's almost always veiling something exactly. else. Exactly. It's almost always veiling somebody else. And it's very mm. easy to fall into the trap yeah. of that. But when you simply take it upon yourself to serve other people and you let your actions, um, do the talking and, mm. and you, you, you go out of your way to help somebody, Somebody that's marginalized rather than just to speak on their behalf um, you, you diffuse that whole political correct um, posture and you diffuse the whole notion of political correctness just simply by becoming a servant of those whom nobody is serving yeah we're about out of time on the show are there other practical things that we should be considering mark in terms of living out a uh, authentically Catholic identity? I think being very careful to not present your way in a way that is offensive. Um, it's important to show other people's God's love. And part of that sometimes is pointing out and correcting their faults and sins. But we have to do it in a way that's gentle. We have to do it in a way that, that that's loving and is not going to automatically draw out offense. And I think that's a, a it's a skill. It takes a little mm-hmm. bit of practice. And sure. just like, and you know, I, I think that's sort of the other side of that um, coin is in order to practice something, you have to do it. And so I think part of it is, you know, a lot of times we're confronted with other people's sin that does need to be pointed out, but we have no practice of doing it because we're not used to doing that. We, <laughs> we, don't make a, we don't make a habit of it, so we don't know how to do it gently, and we don't know how to do it lovingly, and we don't know how to do it charitably because we've never done it. So part of that is actually taking upon ourselves to try to correct our neighbor in a way that, that, that's loving and, and maybe mm-hmm. do that for the first time because a lot of us are, have fallen into that trap of just simply being tolerant and letting other people live, and, and you know we'll go about living our lives, you go about living your lives. Life, that's not a loving Christian stance, but there's a way to be able to, to kind of show people the right way to do things without being offensive about it. Well, it calls to mind the spiritual works of mercy, and it also calls to mind for me 
um, the title of one of uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's encyclicals, uh, Caritas and Veritate, which is uh, truth and charity. And so um, that's, I think, what uh, I hear you saying, Mark, and I agree with, which is we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth with, with charity, meaning that we want to bring about uh, what's truly good for the other person and being willing to do something about it. That's what love is, right? Is willing the good of the other and then being willing to do something about that. And that is all the time we have for the Catholic Cave for this week. For Timothy O'Donnell, for Mark Toddle, I'm Kit Blanford. Until next time, may God bless. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.